Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of the FearCast. This is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss, and I'm a licensed clinician specializing in OCD and anxiety. To no surprise, right? Well, Thank you all for joining me for this, uh, what is typically a question and answer based podcast. Uh, to uh, ask a question for a future episode, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can submit, go to the submit a question link and send me a message. You can also, again, send me a, uh, an audio message if you uh, record your message and send it to me at questions at fearcastpodcast.com or add it to a Google Doc, a shared Google Doc or something to that effect and, go, and send me the link uh, through the uh, submit a question uh, link get fearcast podcast i will read it consider it and put it up on a future episode however today is going to be a little bit different i know i keep saying that so for this episode i had the honor of having mitzi van cleave on to talk about uh, uh religious scrupulosity within the context of christmas time so at the time of this recording we're just getting into the christmas season it's the first half of december and um it was recommended to me by uh, by a listener that uh, hey have you ever done an episode on I, I, how to deal with Christmas as a, someone with scrupulosity. I said, you know what? No, I haven't. And now we are. So, um, so Mitzi was so uh, kind to jump onto this episode to talk about a little bit of her experience. And also, uh, she and I had a great chat about different ways that uh, one can think about Christmas, one can approach Christmas time, and different tools that, uh, that you might be able to use to help manage anxiety, anticipate anxiety, and, over, and, and kind of get through, the, get through uh, kind of triggers that inevitably will come up during this season. So, uh, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll do give a little bit of an introduction about her and then just jump right into it. So, Mitzi Van Cleave is the author of Strivings Within, The OCD Christian, Overcoming Doubt in the Storm of Anxiety. So, in addition to being an OCD survivor, she is an educator, speaker, and advocate about OCD treatment. So, separate from all of this is that uh, she, uh, if you see any posts from her, she, I don't know how she does it, but she is able to keep orchids alive and thriving and beautiful. It seems to be one of her hobbies, or definitely is one of her hobbies, and uh, uh, she is doing an amazing, uh, amazing job at that. So uh, I had a lot of fun chatting with her. She has such knowledge, such wisdom about um, about the about OCD, about scrupulosity, and uh, she's so generous with her time as well. So without further ado, here is my interview with Mitzi Van Cleave. All right, thank you so much, Mitzi Van Cleef, for joining us today for the FearCast to talk about Christmas time, to talk about how to manage anxiety and obsessions and compulsions and just worries around Christmas for the for pretty much anybody, but also specifically those who are suffering from religious scrupulosity, the the the, the religious and faith based and also morality based subtype of obsessive compulsive disorder. So, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm really happy to be able to do this. And uh, I, I was um, afflicted quite a lot myself with that form of OCD. So I'm pretty familiar with uh, what that's like to go through that, especially during um, the holiday and the Christmas seasons where there's so much more of a focus on our faith at that time. Uh, my background is that um, I've had OCD probably 
most of my life, as far back as I can remember, but I didn't know I had OCD. And that made a huge difference in how it went in my life. And so, I mean, there were things in my childhood that looking back, and I think this is true for a lot of people, you're like, oh, that was OCD. But I really didn't come to the knowledge of OCD until I was 50 years old, which is quite shocking because back in my 20s, I went through really bad spells of harm OCD and various different kinds of OCD that were quite crippling and panic disorder too, Mm -hmm. and not really knowing what it was and just kind of fumbling through for a few years, um, becoming really debilitated at times. But it was it was OCD scrupulosity or religious OCD when I was 50 years old that led me to the knowledge that I had OCD. And just knowing that you can go that long and not know you have OCD, it really made me know that there was a lot of people just like me out there which led me to write about my experience in a book. It's called Strivings Within the OCD Christian. It's available on Amazon, which also led me to start a blog and to start a support group on Facebook. excuse me. And um, that's grown to like 2,000 members at this point, uh, Christians who struggle with anxiety and OCD. So that's how it, it got all started for me. And I'm just happy to be here to share some of the ways um, I navigated that and and still do today. Awesome. Well, thank you all. So, thank you so much for all that. Uh, um, everything you've written. I, I I had first heard about you from clients I had, where I, I was working with them, and they said, "Gosh, you know, I'm reading um, I'm reading this woman uh, this this Mitzi lady's uh, uh, blog about scrupulosity, and and it's been really really helpful." And I thought, oh, "It's got to go check this out." Then eventually got your book, and um, it, yeah, I mean, you've been you've been doing a lot to try to just get get information out there for people and. and and you're also right. You're, the experience that you talked about of taking a really long time to get an appropriate diagnosis is unfortunately common. But you know, luckily, just as things have been going on, more and more information is out there. More people are finding um, the right the right information that leads to the right diagnosis faster. So, um, so thank you so much for being a, a part of that process of getting the right and good information out there. Oh, you're you're very welcome. I'm I'm delighted to be able to share, and um, so I guess we could kind of dive in <laughs> with some of the things during the Christmas season that that those of us who have had scrupulosity or right now are struggling with scrupulosity experience and and how to kind of navigate our way through. Yeah, yeah. So we we put together a list of, of five things that that can be really helpful to to both keep in mind and also do uh, to to stay on to stay on the. I hesitate to say this, but here I go anyways. To stay on the right course, to to be focused in uh, keeping your head above water and not letting anxiety or obsessions um, over overwhelm. Um, but I'm wondering if 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 you're comfortable, if you'd be able to share a little bit about some of the ways that that you start. Started to notice that scrupulosity was was impacting your life and how it had manifested itself because I think it, it can show up differently for a lot of people and for some people and we've talked about this a number of times before on the um, uh, the, the the faith and doubt series that that, that uh, yeah. uh, here that um, you know so sometimes within faith having scrupulous behaviors or having scrupulous leanings can be accentuated can be praised can be encouraged so it kind of 
it, it the, a diagnosis seems to yeah. be missed in that process. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, I think it can be missed because also when you go to um, a pastor or a trusted uh, Christian friend and you begin to talk about what you're going through, it can really be perceived as maybe a, a spiritual problem that's correctable, you know, through spiritual means. But for mm-hmm. me, um, what happened with me was I was already kind of in a a nosedive with other kinds of anxiety when scrupulosity hit. I was having an increase in my panic disorder. It was kind of coming back. I was having health obsessions. I know a lot of people with OCD go through that too. And so I recognized I was kind of spiraling at the time. But during that time, all it took was I was listening to a sermon on tape while doing dishes, trying to just distract myself from all the other stuff, the the health obsessions and the panic disorder and all that I was going through. And the, the pastor that was speaking started talking about those kind of sermons evidence for your faith being real mm-hmm. which are so triggering for a lot of people with with uh, scrupulosity and he just made this one statement um you know about if you're still struggling with sin you know to to a pretty large degree or it's like something you're dealing with all the time you might want to take a second look and see if you're really truly a Christian, a believer. And oh it was just gosh. like a gut punch. It was like it, that that thought all these years, you know, it was like, why? It just it just laid me so low. And it was like an instant panic attack when he said that. And and of course I started arguing back in my mind right away, well, wait a second. All Christians struggle with sin. That's ridiculous. We don't become a Christian, come to know Christ. And then that's it. We never sin again, you know? So I I knew logically Mm -hmm. he wasn't right, but emotionally my emotions were like, no, this is really important. (laughs) This is something you really need to pay attention. And then it just, from there on out, it just took right off. And I mean, it ended up, I, I did everything. I had the um, intrusive thoughts that would, would come along with the blasphemous thoughts that would mm-hmm. pop in just like out of nowhere. I started to have thoughts about, well, remember you used to read a lot of apologetics. You really loved apologetics. Probably the whole reason you did that was you never really were a believer anyway, mm-hmm. which wasn't why I read them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was just a constant war, you know, mm-hmm. um, in my head. And, and I couldn't sleep, you know, I couldn't eat. I, I'm always affected like that with my anxiety. I struggle especially to eat. But while I was compulsively researching on the internet, <laughs> um, doubting your faith, how can you be sure you're still saved? And I was pulling up all sorts of articles by pastors and ministers, but right in the middle of all that, something pops up that said, um, religious OCD scrupulosity and I clicked on the link and it led me to a forum on OCD scrupulosity a Christian forum Mm -hmm. and I just started reading the posts and it was like I was reading my own story Mm. and from there I did the right kind of research was to find out what is this thing (laughs) that I didn't know I had you know all these years And, and I learned a lot from there on out about 
how to manage it. You know, ERP being the big thing, of course. But mm-hmm. that's that's my little backstory of when it first reared its head in my life. <laughs> right. Oh man, I I'm, I'm so appreciative that you found a good forum and that. Yeah. But what I, I say that because there can be a lot of unfortunate and unhelpful forums, even even on Facebook. But um, oh, yes. but that's a separate conversation. But the so you, you you said something interesting there. You said I then I once you found out about it and you started you started doing quote the right kind of research. Mm-hmm. What, yes. what what was it? Th- what was that? The right. What's that's the right kind of research, and how do you differentiate that between the quote wrong kind of okay. research? Good question. So. We'll start with um, the wrong kind of research, which is what I was actually doing, which was really in response to to the anxiety, to the obsession, to that intense need to to solve it, to get that answer that would bring that final certainty and reassurance. Mm -hmm. And that's, of course, the trap of OCD, the cycle that just keeps it. You know, front and center in your brain with the great big exclamation points, you know, pay attention to this. So that was the wrong kind of research. The right kind of research was me saying to myself, I have to consider that this is really a disorder. Mm-hmm. And I have to look into how do I treat this? How do I manage it? What can I do? And so that led me to websites like, um, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Stephen Phillipson. Mm-hmm. This website on OCD and and various other websites that, uh, you know, the International OCD Foundation website. And I began reading those materials and trying to stay, it was hard, you know, trying to stay clinical about it in the treatment and, you know, pursuing treatment. But that's not to say I got there just instantly. I mean, obviously, this went on for a while with me. Well, what if in my case it is an OCD? <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And it's really me not believing. It's really me doubting. It's really me turning into an atheist. You know, all that stuff. Right, right. <clears throat> so so often when I, I talk with, with um, scrupulous folks, there can be this this thought of, you know, and, and re- really entertaining that or even saying, you know, if I'm, if I'm truly a Christian, truly a, a believer— it, it's a good thing for me to analyze this and to really get down to what can I do to eliminate sin in my life and to increase a connection with with God. Yes. yes. How in in how how do you combat that or how have you what what do you what do you do with that that inclination or how do you advise someone who has that inclination? Well, I really think you have to look at what's driving the inclination. Mm-hmm. And if you are looking at an anxiety disorder, you have to think about whether it's the anxious, intense anxiety that's driving you to make sure you're doing the right thing, make sure your your belief is real, or whether it's a genuine, legitimate, logical question. Because there's a difference. I mean, I read apologetics for years. I had questions. Mm-hmm. You know, I had things I wondered about, you know, and, and I, but there was never a, a sense, a frantic sense of urgency that was just like the world's coming to an end feeling, mm-hmm. um, which is what OCD feels like to me. It feels like 
if I don't solve this, you know, the whole world is coming to an end. So it's very different. So I use that as even today it is kind of a um, a way to sort out my OCD concerns or questions or doubts over against something that's really valid. Something that's really valid, it isn't like that. I mean, there's a calmness. Um, yeah, you might have somewhat of a concern, but it's not, it's a very measured calmness as you approach it. It's totally different. So I really use that as my gauge with my OCD. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think that using that, using the urgency and that have-to feeling um, yes. can be a great red flag to, to say, this is probably my my OCD. This is probably my obsession. Not not to yes. say that it absolutely, it it always is. Right. But you know, this is a good this is a good um, way to round up, and this is a, this is a likely chance that this is my obsession because historically speaking, that's the way it has shown up for me. Yes. It sounds like that's the way it showed up for you. You got that <gasps> that gut punch, as you said, yeah. that feeling. You can probably say, "All right, this is probably this," because so <laughs> much so, so much of the time, and I know we're going to talk shortly here yeah. on on the importance of feeling within scrupulosity. Um, and and it can it can in a sense be a double edged sword, but it's also like it sounds like you are taking that sense of feeling, and but using that as a a a, a point in the right direction, and you're kind of separating yes. from uh, from following through on that urgency. Yeah, I expect when I'm really having a big episode of OCD, um, where I'm kind of in a flare of it, I expect that I'm all. It's always going to feel risky to treat it like it's OCD, you know, if, and, and I've accepted that, mm-hmm. you know, to go ahead and live with the uncertainty, like, well, there is this slight chance it might not be, but like you said, historically, <laughs> if I go ahead and treat it like OCD, I find out, yeah, that that is in the long run, that, that's what it wants. Retrospect is a great teacher. It really is. Because <laughs> you sometimes look back and go, wow, really? you know mm-hmm. when you're better when you're doing better right so, yeah i i've i i i jokingly i jokingly call this this anxious drunk in the sense that you know if someone is um if someone is drinking they drink too much sometimes that happens i don't want to alarm you but sometimes that happens when yeah. that happens people aren't thinking very clearly they respond to they respond to silly things they do things that are out of the ordinary for what they would ultimately would like to do then when we're in that state, we need to sober up and we, we wait on making big decisions. We right. don't drive in the car. We don't like, we don't buy things we ought not to. And then we wait for us to sober up. Once we do that, we look back and say, all right, maybe I was thinking incorrectly here, but man, I'm, now that I'm clear headed, I can make a re- reasonable, rational choice. Anxious drunk is the same. When we're in the middle of it. <gasps> there's that yeah. anxiety and there's the thoughts and, oh, I should do this and I should do it right now. This will be the smart and wise choice for me to do. We're anxious drunk then. We need to let our, we need to anxious sober up, let that feeling come down, and then we can make a more rational choice afterwards. It's it's utterly compelling in that feeling. And I tell people that's why we do compulsions, because it's so compelling. It's compelling because when it's working right, that Mm -hmm. part of the brain that warns of real danger, real emergencies, we're supposed to you know, have that fight or flight response. But in OCD, 
there's an inordinate amount of that that just attaches itself to the theme or the obsession. It, it needs a target. It's like, well, you got all this anxiety going on and it just kind of like, oh, that'll do. I'll take that because that's important to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it is a very intense, compelling feeling. So you do have to let it come up, write it out, let it come down. You know, it's it's just uh, it just takes a lot of practice to do that. Yes. And, and again, practice, as they say, practice makes perfect. They'll all say practice yeah. makes better. Right. Mm-hmm. We, yeah. We, we need to trust and try it out. But it's gosh, hearing hearing you say it just now was was um, it, it, the the way you said the I think you said something about the the obsessions are or the anxiety is compelling. Yes. It's this is I think this is a point that a lot of people don't understand. A lot of people who are you know out out of the club here, um, you know, family members, friends who don't yes. know what's going on, pastors who don't know what's going on. It that feeling is very convincing. I, yes, I, I maintain had it not been for the feeling, you wouldn't do anything about it. There wouldn't be OCD. Had there, had there everything we're doing is about that feeling, and this is where I would exactly. say so. I guess tell tell me a little bit more about maybe or if you have either some some examples or could share a little bit about how that feeling impacted you in 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 the throes of things and then I want to then I want to talk a little bit about uh, your your thoughts and feelings about Christmas just to lighten things okay. up briefly but yeah. tell me a little bit about that that feeling that about how it's so compelling. Well, I would say that. The feeling, the anxiety that attaches itself to the thoughts, like, I know that I can give an example, I guess. Um, I think I told you about how um, the thought came into my mind in in the throes of this, that um, I had been very heavily interested in apologetic work. So Mm -hmm. I've read everything C.S. Lewis has ever written, Mm -hmm. probably, and, you know, Francis Schaeffer and all the great apologists. And um, the thought came into my mind during all of this, because this is the way intrusive thoughts are, that maybe you did that because you never really were a believer. Now, that thought happened, I understand now, just through the association, because my my feeling was I might not be really a Christian Mm -hmm. from that initial statement. So everything associated with someone who might not be a Christian, the intrusive thoughts came. So when that thought came... The anxiety with that was just so crippling Mm -hmm. and so compelling that it just felt like I had to find a way to prove that I really, really, truly, truly believed, you know, and when you're getting into those words, like, how do I know that I really believe? Mm -hmm. It seems like with this anxiety that I don't, does that mean that I'm heading towards atheism? Is that where I'm going to end up? And what that caused me to do was to fight mentally in my head all the time about all the things I'd learned and apologetics, why I believed it, how long I'd been a believer, how long I'd been living for the Lord, all the evidences all through my life. You know, I would go through all of that. I Mm -hmm. would talk to my husband about it, you know, and just try to get some feeling of reassurance, Mm -hmm. some proof, some evidence that would just lay it all to rest. But the more I did that, I was giving weight 
and credence to the idea, the whole obsessional theme, because the more you pay attention to it, the more your brain says it is urgent, it is important. And so it just became this unending cycle Mm -hmm. where if I could fall asleep at night, when I woke up in the morning, my eyes would pop open and be like, oh, that's right. (laughs) You know, here we go. You know, and, and so I could go around the house like a robot, but I, in my head, I was just very busy. All the time. I, I guess I'm what they call the pure old type. Mm-hmm. There was some avoidance too that was going on there also. With you know, it was hard to read the Bible because stuff would pop out and seem to accuse mm-hmm. or go to church. They were all believers, obviously. Obviously. And I, you know, by the way, look at how they acted, you know, right. and here I'm sitting here just terrified, right. you know. They seem so confident and so full of joy, full of the joy of the Lord, you know, and and my husband, my husband might as well have been wearing a halo at that time in comparison (laughs) to how I saw myself. So it's pretty, it's very compound. Yeah. And and logic just doesn't seem to help, you know, I mean, it's like, and I believe that's because it is that compelling anxiety response that other people who don't have OCD don't experience with an odd or weird intrusive thought that pops in their head because everybody gets weird thoughts from time to time and they're just like, I don't believe that. Dismiss it, you know. Right. Yeah, and um, gosh, the that idea of do I believe or don't I? There's that all or nothing, but also like there's that slim sliver of a hundred percent. I either that's believe all the things, right. but if I'm ninety nine percent in, yeah, that's that's in that's in disbelief section, right, right, right. Yeah. And I mean ninety nine percent is still passing on pretty much any test except for OCD's test. Yeah. So we have to just be that little bit, and also there's that promise of apologetics. Right, yeah. the promise of th- this is how I can know, this is how I can prove through logic and reason, this thing that is outside of logic and reason, that yeah. is that fits in within the supernatural realm. It's interesting because when I studied apologetics, my whole reason for that was just to be able to share my faith more effectively. Sure. With people who had real skepticism, real questions, mm-hmm. not OCD-driven questions, but to just kind of be better equipped, right. you know? And so that wasn't my motive, but of course, OCD twisted that around, Grabbed of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> into it being the motive. So, but yeah, feelings, you know, um, that's, that's a huge thing. Um, it was with me, and it was with, um, and it is with people that I talk to who are struggling with this. And so, you know, going into the Christmas season, I think it can be particularly difficult for someone in the throes of OCD, uh, this this type of OCD, to be around people who, in situations where Christ's birth is being celebrated and everyone is just so seemingly full of joy and just their faith. They just seem to be glowing mm-hmm. in comparison. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. It's um, we, we get into this, what I call emotional checking with, with scrupulosity. Um, 
I should or ought to have this feeling when I'm thinking about Christ's birth and incarnation. Mm-hmm. Instead, I either feel terrified that I don't believe or I'm completely numb. I don't feel any joy. Right. Um, or I'm upset and angry because I can't. Mm-hmm. And does that mean I'm mad at God? You know, <laughs> just all sorts of stuff. But this emotional checking. Mm-hmm. People are always checking, and I did it, for the right emotions when they're in this situation, what they right. think they should be feeling. And that is just a hole you don't want to go down. You you have when you're when you're struggling with scrupulosity, you should not compare the way you're feeling when you're in the throes of that to other people because it's just futile. The more you try to muster that feeling up, the less it's ever going to appear because all your intense scrutinizing of your feelings, why don't I feel this or why don't I feel that? Mm-hmm. It just blocks the natu- natural flow of emotion where the only feeling you really feel is anxiety. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's front and center. That's That's what you're feeling. And that's an emotion, <laughs> but it, it's just a, it's an emotion that you have to learn to accept as part of the process when you're going through this form of OCD. So, I mean, I, I was jealous of people yeah. during this time. I really was, mm-hmm. you know? And what's, what I, what's interesting is that What's frustrating, perhaps, is this yeah. that that assumption you mentioned that said everyone else seemed to be so happy and joyous yeah. and full of life in comparison to me, and there was almost this assumption that you know everyone else probably saw you as being you know just distant yeah. and cold and and you know outside the outside the camp in a sense. Right, and, definitely. It's how I worried that's how God saw me. And the reality is outside, outside the fold. You know that sheep right. bleeding to get in. Mm-hmm. But you know, well, I'm sorry, but you don't really have enough faith. <laughs> you right. know, that feeling. Right. And and the irony is that, likely speaking, everyone people did in fact look at you and said, "Gosh, look at Mitzi. She seems to be so on fire, so close. She must be enjoying this so much." And and it's because in, internally that's where, as you said, you're, you you said you're experiencing a lot of pure O stuff, and it's because that's where the compulsions are placing are are are, are living just between your right. ears. Yes, and that is true. I I think that um, a lot of people going through um, mm-hmm. this kind of OCD, it's it's a hidden, isolating thing because it's, mm-hmm. it's going on internally, and you're just. On the outside, you look normal, you seem normal, you might be able to go and sit in a church service, but I remember that just being a really difficult thing to get through for me. Um, I did it uh, because I wanted, you know, and that's that's another aspect of whatever your feelings are, you can still follow through with what you know a Christian or a person who, who wants to celebrate Christmas would do and being with your family and going with your family. But you're right. I, I don't think anybody picked up on it other right. than the fact that I was getting thinner, <laughs> you know, not eating well, right. you know, that right. kind of thing. Yeah. And we've been kind of touching on our, on our first point here, which is, um, which is to, to, to discount the importance of the feeling for the season. So, right. 
and and I think we've talked about this where it's you know there can be this there can be a strong desire for people to want to, that, that we're that we're supposed mm-hmm. to feel something around this time of year um, we're spo- or not just in not just in general we're supposed to feel connected with God or feel um, faithful or to feel. Uh, generous or or whatever the case may be but specifically right. around certainly christmas and and i think we talked about this before this conversation could equally apply to easter whereas during easter we're supposed to feel all these things and feel um feel all these things for lack of a better term um yeah. but how how do you help someone to or how would you guide someone to helping to kind of resist the efforts to force that good feeling and to resist the urge to compare yourself to the responses that or the responses or the perceived responses of others well i focus on actions a lot and Mm -hmm. you know i I was going to talk about this later but i can mention again you know the act is if are three little words that help me a lot Mm -hmm. that feelings aren't as important as what we're actually doing Mm -hmm. and so ocd wants to pick something like that like your emotions and your feelings and how you should feel. And it wants to blow it up into a big, hairy deal. And you can just say, you know what? That doesn't even matter. I'm still going to, you know, spend time with my family at Christmas. I'm going to do the things I want to do. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to, not out of obligation, but just because that's what I want to do. That's what I choose to do. So there's choice in this. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel that our feelings catch up to our behavior. So act as if it's helped me. But another example I give, mm-hmm. because of, for a lot of people with OCD, we have more than one kind that we've been through. And one kind that's very similar to this, when we're talking about this relational um feeling or emotional feeling we should have toward God and toward the Christmas holiday because we're celebrating him because this is a relational type um, thing that we have in our faith with God is to compare it to relationship OCD Mm. where there's a couple and you know um, she might have relationship OCD about her husband and she might have the same problem well, wait, do I really love him? You know, I don't know if I feel like I love him, you know, and start to examine the emotions as evidence. And so a therapist isn't going to say, you know, you should you should try to muster that up. He's going to say, you know, act as if you keep on behaving as if you love him. And you just got to put those, those anxiety feelings over to the side and and choose what you want to do so that's kind of one way with the emotional thing and and i also say that to as far as pleasing god uh which is more pleasing to god when you're just naturally full of those joyful emotions where you feel at peace about your relationship and your faith with him and and so you're doing all those things while you're feeling that or which is more pleasing to him when you're doing those things even when you're not feeling that connection or the emotions that you think you should have, and yet you're still willing to stay in that relationship with God. You're still willing to practice your faith, you know? And so mm-hmm. you just have to do that with OCD. I think it's a, it's it's brought into 
a lot of different types of OCD, but the closest one I can compare it to, I think, is relationship mm-hmm. OCD when it comes to the right emotional feeling that we think we should have. And maybe you can add a little bit to that because I don't know if I I covered it, you know, all the different ways you can get past that. But that's the way that helps me. And I think that's a great way to, to view it. And I, I I gave up many, many years ago in doing this podcast, I gave up on trying to hit all the points. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> inevitably, there will be someone listening to this who will say, you know what? What do they know? They missed the way that it, I experience it. And to, exactly. to, that, to that person, yeah, there we're going to miss something. But the, I, I digress. Yeah. So to the, I mean, yeah, to that point about forcing that feeling. I, I love the comparison to relationship OCD because yes, it is a relationship. And there, I've also likened it to an elaborate harm OCD, um, where we're kind of worried, worried that we are going to, we are somehow damaging the relationship that we have with God, or or or, or damaging yes. God in general, or myself within the context of the relationship with God. But when we think about that, that. It, the assumptions that we have about what other people are feeling. Actually, even before I say mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, your your yeah. illustration of saying, yeah, when we, what is more pleasing to God that we that we just wait till we have those positive feelings, or, or do we do the things even though we sometimes don't have those positive feelings? Um, I think we'll we'll get we'll add this point a little bit later too, but I'll say it here too, is that we're yeah. dynamic people. Yeah, some yeah. days we're into things and some days we're not into the same things and i gave this example some days you know some days you know we my my wife is completely annoyed by me for good reason (laughs) and some days she loves me you know loves meaning feels has that one lovey-dovey feeling right and, yeah. and, and vice versa. It's because, you know, we have good days and bad days and on days and off days. And to say that we're only supposed to have on days all the time denies our humanity. Exactly. And when, if, then it, back to that all or nothing. If I only have, if, if it's only I'm on or I'm off, then it's 100% I'm on. And then if I'm 99% on and just I'm distracted or tired or whatever, then I'm off. Then we're signing ourselves up for a life of failure. And within that that relationship, perhaps, you know, even with my wife, if, you know, if either I have the lovey-dovey wonderful feelings that I had, the, the tippity-top of how I felt when we first started dating versus, you know, any other time where things fluctuate, I, yeah. I, I'm automatically in failure town. Oh, yeah, I think that's a really good comparison. And I think with OCD, with the religious OCD, it's just one of those things that that the disorder will latch on to. Um, it's like a phase uh, because it goes to, it, it seems to kind of like go to different tracks, you know, religious OCD. But I know that the, the right emotions we think we should have toward God is, is a huge one. And the harder we try to muster them up, the worse that gets because just all that effort is validating that it really matters, you know, that we're not feeling like we think we should feel because that isn't what it's about, you know, and, but the OCD will say that's important. Then it'll shift to something else. You know, Mm -hmm. you get past that and it'll, it'll just shift to something else. Right. (laughs) That's what it does. 
Right. So, I mean, in the sake of time, since I know we've, we've spent a lot of time yes. on this, uh, I mean, jump down just briefly to number two. So these are kind of five different things that we can keep in mind or think about or do uh, mm-hmm. in the holiday season. And, and number two that I've written down here is kind of write a letter to your future anxious self. Now, this this can certainly be be a reassurance step, but it's also a step that can help us ground ourselves in in what we truly know about ourselves. And this is this gets back to my previous point about kind of being anxious drunk, is that when we're in the middle of our anxiety, we're not thinking clearly, we think that this is reasonable, that I ought to do this. But when we're in our clear state of mind, it can be helpful to write our, a letter to ourselves. If we know that we're going to get freaked out by something, all right, I'm just going to write my write a little letter to myself no. saying, all right, self, these are going to be the things that are probably going to freak you out. These are some truths that you can know about yourself, about the holiday, about people, about your relationship with God, about God in general, mm-hmm. to help ground ourselves. It's not to say in this letter, everything's fine, you're saved, nothing wrong is ever going to happen in your life. Because that's ultimately right. going to be unhelpful too. But we can put down some of these truths. I'm wondering if you, if there are some things that perhaps you would have written down for yourself or you could encourage someone to write down that would grounds them in some basic truths about themselves that that fight against anxiety. Yeah, I think that it's just with me in the case of scrupulosity, it would just be that I know that I desired Christ because mm-hmm. without if I didn't desire to have that relationship, this OCD wouldn't even have lashed onto it. So it's kind of like and I've told people this, it's almost like your faith is really so strong that this is the most important thing, you know, in, in your existence, your relationship to God and where you stand with him. It's so strong and your belief is so strong that it, that's why OCD latches onto it. You couldn't even, if it, if it was just kind of an unimportant thing to you, that wouldn't happen. So I would just stress Probably historically, I would go back to what my walk with Christ has been all along and just the ways that he's blessed me in my life, the way that relationship has been so enriching. And that one thing I've always said, because I I could go back and see periods of my life where I had different anxious themes now that I knew it was OCD. And you know what? I got better this too shall pass. And it's just that putting one foot in front of the other and persevering through it, that I would come out the other side. And so it would be along those lines of just encouraging that right now it feels really rough, but you've felt really rough before. You've been in some really bad places before. Mm -hmm. And just in this persevering of, of, you know, staying the course, so to speak. It would be a staying the course letter, I think, to encourage me. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's including elements in that. That uh, So I, I spoke a while ago to Ted Witzig, and he, he calls this a forward-moving faith. That yes. it's that's not to st- get stuck in analysis before we take that step forward. It's we just we keep moving forward in whatever it is that you're going to do. And there's that that's I mean that's there's a lot of behavior. Forward moving faith does not imply the feeling. So it's that encouragement right. of how do you take to continue to move forward with whatever those rituals or routine the, the appropriate 
appropriate religious rituals, <laughs> right? The, yeah. the, the ritual of going to church or of whatever your yeah. particular faith tradition has as the holiday tradition. Yes. Perhaps exactly. everyone knew what I meant, but you know, I'm all of yeah. a sudden going to switch things up and advocate for compulsions. That sounds like something I'm going to do. Yeah, let's do rituals. <laughs> yeah. All right. I knew I knew what you were driving. Okay. At. Okay. Additional, you know, the things you you have chosen to do as a follower of God or of Christ yes. around your faith that you can, you know, OCT doesn't have the power to stop that. You right. know, I'll hear people say sometimes, well. I can't do this or I can't do that. And I'll be like, why? Yeah. You know, because it'll make me feel anxious. Yeah. It will. And then you just do it. Right. (laughs) And and, and conversely, they'll say, I can't do this. Right. I can't go to church. I can't listen to the sermon. Right. Yes, you can. It'll be hard, though. It'll be uncomfortable. But we do a lot of uncomfortable things in life. Yeah. You you live in the Midwest. It's cold. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> That's uncomfortable. It is. And, it and, is. And yet there you are. Amongst we to, do. To, yeah, go ahead. We do winter every year. I don't look forward to it, but somehow I get through it. Somehow. <laughs> you know, I just go out there and plod through the snow and put my coat on. And, and then I say, and spring will come it's spring. again. <laughs> and this too shall pass. And yes. so something that we were kind of getting to, and I think this ultimately just gets to our third point, which is identify your typical compulsions and work to create boundaries around them. Yes, I think one of the big problems with um, this kind of OCD or any kind of OCD that's sort of a puro type OCD is it's a little bit harder for people to even know that they're engaging in compulsions. Right. So it's really important to know what those are so you can put on the brakes when you're when you're headed down that path. Or you can say, um, you know what, I'm going to think about that later. So identifying, because a lot of times people don't even know, you know, that this, I, I had this thought, and it was so upsetting and I didn't want that thought. That's the last thing I wanted to think. So I prayed and confessed to God and told him I was sorry that I had that thought. But then I had it again. So I prayed. <laughs> you know, so it's just no you to stop that. The the praying, the confessing, um, the the attending. To me it's just attending. It's this even this mental pushing back, arguing in your head about when the thoughts come that you might not be a true believer and you're sitting there firing back at it, you know, yes, I am because this, 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 and then something comes back at you. But what about this? What about that? What about that? You know, and then you're fighting with that. So it's this mental uh, rumination and, and arguing. It's um, people do undoing statements. Yeah. Uh, so if they have like a blasphemous thought, they'll try to undo it with a certain kind of positive thought about God. It's all sorts of of things. And reassurance seeking, I think is one of the most, one of the hardest for people with this to stop, (laughs) you know, it is particularly in the forums, you know, Um, people come in. I had this thought, I had that thought. And now I'm really worried that this means 
maybe I'm not really a Christian because why would a Christian think something like that? Mm-hmm. And then people people come back with all these reassuring verses and, um, you know, God will never leave you or forsake you. It seems really good that they're doing that, but that just feeds the disorder because, again, it validates the whole idea that mm-hmm. the questions and the doubts and the thoughts are worth your time and attention. Right. And the more you're giving them time attention, the more that OCD machine keep, it, it revs up. You know, one way I handled it um, with these different compulsions or, you know, the urge to engage in them was I kind of did sort of, I remember back in the day, I pictured it like a waiting room. Like mm. I like I had these appointments with all these thoughts and questions and doubts that were pressing in and wanted to engage with me. Yeah. And I would be like, you know what? Um, I can hear you. I know you're there. But putting you over there in the waiting room, because I've got other things to do. And maybe I'll think about you later. And maybe I won't. But for now, you sit over there. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't hear it or that you're not aware of it, but you're just kind of mentally saying, you know, you're not really that important. So you just sit over there, <laughs> you know, and that helped me with my boundary. I had to have kind of a visual thing in my mind of, of like, almost like they were little people, <laughs> you know, that I just I don't have time for you. And so that helped me. Right. Yeah, I, I, I love that image because there's, there's a decision to be made there. You're not letting the, that urgency convince you that, that all of a sudden this thought needs to jump the line and, you know, come out of the waiting right. room. We, we decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to put this one to the side just, just for now. It doesn't mean forever. It doesn't mean wh- right. whatever it is. It's just I'm, I'm not, I, don't need to, I don't need to do this right now. I can right. do almost anything else. That that can be counterintuitive, or that can sound crazy to someone who's just in the throes of it, where they feel that one, the emotional component convinces them, compels them, this yeah. is important, and two, convinces them that that this thought or the, the action of evaluation or that th- ruminating about it is a spiritually appropriate and reasonable behavior. Right. That right. as, a, as a Christian, this is something I ought to do. This is good yeah. for me to do. And that can be reinforced by unwitting people who unwittingly, you know, are trying to help you, but they're just clueless. And so I tell yeah. people, you know, once you understand you have OCD, you can't just go to anybody and start asking these questions or asking what you should do about it because to them if they're another christian this might seem like well they can fix that for you right you know they'll open up their bible and they'll say here's this, this verse word that right verse. here yeah answers that and, and then they close their bible like okay nailed we're done. it fixed it <laughs> yeah. but they have no clue about what how ocd operates and why you're struggling and so they they end up feeding it and they also can end up very frustrated with you because you're just going to come back right (laughs) and and to that point about um forums you know it it feels so heartless it's it's unhelpful to get that reassurance from other people but if someone goes on there and says gosh you know i'm having this i'm the classic one i'm having the worry that maybe i blaspheme the holy spirit um 
you know, it's heartless for someone to go up there and just go, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, and but ultimately, that that is the position that we ultimately need to take with this. Yes. Maybe. And what else yeah. are we going to do today? Yeah. As we yeah. as we move on. Yeah, that's what I would say. Well, right now I've got a lot of you know things to take care of. I need to clean the house. I need to do the dishes. I got this meal sitting on. You know, so I really don't have time for this. And when I was younger, you know, the kids. You know, I needed to take care of the kids or whatever. Yeah. And I don't really have time for you right now. And it helps that putting off because what you're doing is you're just showing your brain and your anxiety center that it's okay. You can just let that be. And in your retraining habituating your brain to the to see it and perceive it differently as long as we continue to treat it like it's a valid emergency it's going to continue to feel that we're unwittingly feeding it you know Mm -hmm. by all of that reassurance seeking and all of that attending that we're doing and so it's really important for people with ocd to understand how ocd operates and what's going on because it helps them to know Oh wait! This is what I'm doing, and this is where I, this is what I need to stop doing. Right, and to, to that point, to continue on with this, with the you know identifying your typical compulsions, working on resisting reading the Bible, praying, reading yeah. other books that can uh, you know in a compulsive manner that's that's motivated by the anxious feeling, in order to gain right. that reassurance, or to or to at least kind of um, get rid of that guilty you know that guilty feeling. Right, which is always temporary. I mean, you do those things and you'd be like, okay, you know, and that lasts, what, 20 minutes? I don't know. (laughs) I mean, when you're really bad, it doesn't last long at all. But yeah, you have to stop that kind of researching as driven by the anxiety. Right. You know, as driven by, you know, I need that need, that compelling need to, it's wanting to feel safe. You know, so I'll feel safe. And so identifying that's what's motivating you to read your Bible. So, you know, when you're going through this, you don't want to just say, well, I can never read my Bible again. That's not that's not the way we approach it. You you have to have a way to read your Bible that's different than being compelled by the disorder. So I, I recommend to people that, you know, if you want to keep learning and growing in your faith by studying your Bible, then get a study guide on a topic, you know, and follow the study guide just, you know, a short bit a day, you know, instead of like researching because of what the OCD is telling you, you need to figure out. You know, you do that, you do that differently. That's a whole different experience um, than just frantically flipping through your Bible or books to find that one answer that's going to lay out all the rest. It's a whole different. So you got to really look at the motivation, you know, for resisting, you know, reading the Bible for the wrong reason to feed the OCD or books or, you know, pastors or you know pastors lectures or whatever right i love that 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 you added to this point you said conversely if reading the bible causes triggers uh then then work towards gradually reading it gradual exposure to that Yeah. yeah and i had to do that i mean it was it's funny now when i see the different ways the ocd twisted scripture that i'd always known to mean something that i knew it didn't mean Mm-hmm. But I would just be reading, and stuff would just kind of like almost like 
jump off the page. Right. Like, aha. And, you know, I remember this one time it was like, you know, you know, and unless you have the faith of a little child, you know, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And I was just like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't, I don't think I have that kind of faith because that's just that kind of faith that just believes like, like kids believe in Santa Claus. I mean, and I just don't, you know, and I just like freaking out. Whereas really what that means is just grace. It's in other words, it's the idea that when children are utterly dependent on their parents for everything, Uh not because they're such wonderful little children that they do all these things that it just makes us really want to take care of them and feed them and clothe them and house them. We do that because there are, there are babies, there are children. We love them and they just accept and receive that. Yeah. They just, you know, because they know they don't, they can't, you know, it's that, it's that, um, Poor in spirit. That's what that verse means. It's that, yeah, you basically can't bring anything to the table. So you have to trust God. Right. He's he's got this. But my OCD just grabbed that and went the exact wrong way with it. And so that's what that's how triggers can happen. And so you have to just um, and I think I I taught we've talked about this before. You have to expect when you're doing this kind of exposure, if you're triggered by the Bible, that you're going to be triggered. Recognize it, and then just accept it and write it out. Later on, you'll be able to come back and go, oh, wait a second. You know, write out the anxiety. That isn't what that meant, you know. But during the time, you you can't just say, well, that's it. I'll never read the Bible again because I'm triggered. (laughs) Because again, avoidance, whatever we run from, Whatever we avoid, it just reinforces that, that that is something that to be to be feared. Exactly right. Gosh, the to the point about having, having what I call the underminer, having the complete opposite thought pop, pop in. When that verse popped out to you, they said like you have to have faith as a child. And you're like, oh, okay, well I have to have this. Okay, how, how do I have the faith of a child? Conversely, later on, the Bible talks about growing in your growing in and developing a mature faith. Right mm-hmm. and putting away childish things. Right, moving on to right. the, the what is the moving on past the milk onto the meat or something to that effect. Right. Well, which one is it, Bible? Yeah, and it can feel very confusing. Yeah. Um, but but all, but I love what you had also done. You kind of said, well, here's probably what this means. Or you looked this up, and you or you not looked this up, but you you went here's mm-hmm. probably what it meant, and yeah. I'm just and I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just amazing how it'll just, I, I say what OCD likes to do is pull verses out of context and yes. twist them around to mean something they don't mean. So that's why for, because your, your, your mind and your brain is kind of on that topic. You might not be a believer. You might not really have the faith that you need to be safe, you know, to go to heaven someday. So it's just kind of like easy, it makes those easy jumps and associations, and, and it does tend to see things out of context. Right. And so, uh, so to, to move on, our next point was to mm-hmm. anticipate the anxiety. The, yes. And you, yes. you, you added here you, to hold two things in mind. Tell me about expect and accept. Well, I think as particularly for the Christmas season, um, because there's so much more of a focus on, you know, we talked about just even like 
the miraculous um, incarnation, the aspect of, you know, the virgin giving birth and just all the things, the mystery, you know, that's there. With OCD, uh, scrupulosity, it's like, you know, proof that's going to that's going to flare up those doubts. Like, do I believe that? You know, it's just because the brain just does that. It makes these creative associations. Well, what would a person who's a, a non-believer think at this moment? So when you're dealing with this, you have to really expect in certain situations like reading the Bible or listening to a sermon, I'm going to a Christmas concert. You have to expect that because you're in the throes of this, you're probably going to be triggered. And when you're when you're anticipating that that's probably going to happen, instead of just like, oh, I hope that doesn't happen or I don't want that to happen, it changes the dynamics. It's like, oh, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Right. Nice try. Right. Nice try, OCD. And I'm just going to sit. Yeah, my anxiety just went up and it's like, I knew that was going to happen too. Right. And you can just write it out. So it, there's a expecting, but there's also an accepting of it that it's, it's, it's how we say this, it's abnormally normal yes. with OCD for that to happen. Yes. So it's like, it, it just helps instead of just thinking you won't be, or you don't want to be, it helps to just kind of be ahead of the OCD, you know, to get ahead of it. In that way, and that's why I like those two words, and that's how I I use them. Whenever I'm dealing with something where I'm struggling with an obsessional theme, and I'm going to do something, I'm just like, yeah, that's going to trigger me. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> yeah, and, and and oh well, here we go. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to feel anxiety, but also with that, expecting that anxiety, knowing that it's going to be there, and then giving yeah. ourselves that permission to ride that through, going like, this is going to suck. And it's going to yeah. feel uncomfortable, and I'm not going to like it. And, and, and in no way does accept mean uh, uh, you have to like it, or that you have to be okay right. with it, or square it somehow. It, right. it, can, it can be left as, this is unfortunate, and this is mm-hmm. not the way that it was designed, or I, or I quote, should be feeling. But guess what? It's the way that I am feeling. Yeah. So, yeah. I know it's going to happen. Buckle up, here we go. I, 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 I was telling you earlier that you know, at the end of every podcast, my brain says this is the this is going to be the last podcast I ever do because this is you know it's going to be the worst one and it's going to be terrible and everyone's going to you know the whole OCD community is going to think that I'm a blah 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 and all this stuff and yeah, I expect that thought now and I've, yeah. I'm, it has yet to happen, right? But maybe <laughs> but maybe it's this one that does it. Exactly. It probably is because I'm on. Pro- <laughs> See, that's what my OCD says. Right. And, 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 yes. and, and the flip side is, I'm like, it has nothing to do with you. This is my. But here we go. We're doing the same thing, right? Yeah. We, yeah. Buckle up. We knew this was mm-hmm. going to happen. We knew this thought was going to be there, and yet here we are. So, if you know, anticipate your anxiety. If you're going to go in, and yet if you're going to hear the story about the virgin birth, and your brain goes. Do I really believe that? Right. Of course you're going to have that thought, especially if that's the thought that you have had for years, or it is latching onto this one central component to the Christmas story. What are the other things for you, listener, that are sticking points? 
It does spit those. Write those things down. I used to call it, I, I call this anxiety bingo. We write down all the things that are going to bug mm-hmm. us or going to freak us out, or we know where our, our we're, we're going to have these thoughts, feelings, images, sensations, and urges. We're going to write all those down. And then when they happen, we just check them off the list. Yeah. Of course it you was know, there. It's, it's um, I used to do, this was just something I sort of did on my own because um, humor and music are kind of like the opposite of what you might feel with anxiety. So I used to, it sounds weird, but with some of my obsessional themes that I knew was going to come in my head, thoughts, intrusive thoughts, doubts, things that I didn't want to think and the worst case scenario stuff. I used to write it down in a way that was almost like rhyming. And then I would, in my mind, or when I was alone, sing it to the tune of the teddy bear's picnic. Uh so it was changing a perception with my brain by doing that kind of like why is she why is she singing a funny song about something so serious you know but it helped me to kind of like yep and then this is going to happen and then and then this will happen and you know I suppose with Christmas you could do that with jingle bells or something Absolutely. you know with all your different you know, intrusive thoughts, you know, and just the horror of it set to the tune of Jingle Bells. It's a it's a funny kind of exposure exercise, but I think it just kind of like shows the brain that you're willing to go there and even mock it, even mock it a little bit. You know, it's like, wait, bullies really hate to be mocked. And we always think of OCD as a bully. So that's kind of like, well, you know, I guess I'm not winning today, you know, OCD. So that was just a, I, that just popped in my head that I used to do that, you know, with some of my, my screw right. thoughts and doubts. Right. And, and I, I love that exercise or exercises t- like that. Cause you, yeah, you, you are poking fun at this and you're leaning into those feared thoughts. And for some, it can feel very, it, it can feel, like it's a bridge too far or it can feel excessively yeah, yeah. blasphemous and there and there's a range on what people people can do what you're talking a about range, there is an yeah. active exposure for someone to do and they can be they are incredibly helpful but for someone who's not quite there yet they can also they don't have to actively bring that up all they have to do right. is accept the the, uh, the the expect and accept just the yeah. stuff that is there and both of these approaches are completely valid and completely helpful and it's just maybe it's it's different ways. I call it different ways to get in shape, right? Yes, you can you yes. can go to the gym, or you can get a job at a uh, at a moving company. Both yep. are going to get in shape. You're just going to get in shape in different ways, right? Well, and there's a progression where when you you know you go through the expect and accept, and and you 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 get braver with yes, exposures as right. you go along. You you might not be ready at that point, but when you've won a few. You know, what I mean is when you've seen all the anxiety went up, it came down, I didn't engage in the compulsions and and you've been doing that for a while. And, and I'm you're still like, here. Let's ramp, let's ramp it up a little bit here. Yeah, you know, so. absolutely. And I think that's it. And for, for those who are out there just listening to this, who are new at this process, you know, start. This is this is a good process to start with. Expect and accept starting to take that approach and when you start to see yeah i can do this i can have this thought i don't have to do the compulsion i ride that out and nothing happens right. it's not the end of the world use that as motivation to take that next step take that next step and whatever that next step is 
and keep yeah. chasing the bully around the yard at, this, at that point. So, so we, to to our to our last point, and I have no idea how long this episode is going to end up being, but here we go. It's um, our last point was let yourself have the anxiety, and to, we've been kind of making this point. Write it out, and I jokingly to myself when I was writing this, I got the image of making room at the inn for anxiety in yeah. the Christmas spirit that yeah. we you know don't don't guilt ourselves for the fact that we're feeling this feeling of. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we are going to feel joy and peace and love and kindness, but maybe we're going to feel emptiness, tired and annoyed, anxious mm-hmm. and frustrated. And there's room, we can have room in our life for all of them, because again, we're dynamic people. All of them are yeah. completely acceptable feelings. So we, 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 uh, we shouldn't let our anxiety dictate what is acceptable and not acceptable. We decide right. that. Yeah, choice is huge um, in dealing with OCD. And, and I think in the realm of OCD scrupulosity, choice has been one of the biggest things that have helped, has helped me along. And that's just the act as if, um, you know, people will say, well, I just, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I, I, I say, do it then. And they look sort of confused about that. But I'm like, well, are you saying you want to feel it or you want to do it? Because really there's, to me, there's more, um, more to be gained in your, your faith walk of doing the things that you value, that you've decided in your life are important to you as a Christian, even when doing some of that stuff triggers you and, and it's hard to do, but you just choose to do it anyway. Um, to me, that's just more of your your putting feet to your faith. I think it takes greater faith. I mean, Christ himself, the Bible tells us, you know, we have examples of his anxiety that he experienced about a very real world situation for him. When he was going to Jerusalem and he knew what lay ahead, the Bible says he had to set his face like a flint. In other words, like that determined, persevering one foot in front of the other. And then we see him in Gethsemane. There's a lot of anxiety there. I mean, a lot of anxiety, a lot of trepidation. And yet he had chose, this is what I'm going to do. And, and with, our, with our walk, we, the walk is what matters. And so with, with OCD, act as if is important to me, you know, in, in this. It's like, yes, I'm, I'm feeling this, but I still have a choice. I can still walk in faithfulness to Christ, even when my feelings aren't lining up with that. And when you think about it, I think it would mean more to walk in faithfulness and doing what you have always traditionally done, what has always been important to you in your walk with the Lord, to continue doing that rather than to, if you just had always felt happy and always had feelings of peace and joy and ease and then walking. I mean, which is a greater test of faith? So in a way, we're growing and stretching our legs of faith in the process. It's not pleasant, but we get to choose. And so that has helped me a lot, the the act as if aspect of of managing this form of OCD. It's no different than, like you were saying about harm OCD or relationship OCD. 
you know, you're not going to be told by your therapist when you're struggling with a relationship OCD with a spouse or a girlfriend, we'll break up with them. Right. <laughs> you know, they're not going to tell you that. You know, they're, they're going to say, stay the course, you know, and act as if. You don't have to have the right feelings to, to follow Christ or to love your spouse, to have the relationship. You choose it. You do it. And, and feelings catch up, you know, to our, our behavior. Our behavior comes first. So that's helped me a lot. I mean, it doesn't make OCD go away. You still got to do the work, you know, of learning about exposure and, and you know, like changing certain things in your lifestyle. You got to do that work. But while you're going through that, you still get to, you still get to choose. Right. I hope that makes some sense. <laughs> I, I, I think it does. I think it does. Before we, I think, so we've gotten through all of our points. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, right. though. What are your favorite, what are you looking forward to most about Christmas? Or what do you like about the holiday? Oh, definitely. To me, um, sharing Christmas with our family, our extended family, our grandkids, because we have, we have seven grandkids, and really getting to share not just the love in the family, but the love that's there because of our, our relationship to Christ and all that it means to us as Christians and getting to share that with the grandkids and, you know, really hear them say what it means to, what it means to them and in just showing Christ's love to them, our extended family. It's just been, it's like a, it's like I'm old and I'm a grandma, but my job's not done yet. And so right now, Christmas, that's really exciting for us is just definitely the extended family that, that God has given us and, and getting to, to grow um, in our faith through sharing Christ with them. That's fantastic. So that's, that's the good part. <laughs> and, and what's your favorite Christmas movie? Oh my goodness. If you have one. If you have not, one. This isn't going to be good. But that's, I'm just trying to think. Well, first of all, I do love um, Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I like the musical versions of that. Okay. Uh, probably are my favorite. I think Albert, the one Albert Finney did was really good, which is really old. And then I like humorous Christmas movies like um, Elf. Is that what it's called? Elf, I can't remember. Yeah. The Will Ferrell and one, then, yeah. Yep, yep. I like silly stuff and Chevy Chases. We watch that with the kids. His uh, Christmas vacation, you know. So I do like I, I like stuff like that too. Christians like are allowed to laugh and enjoy humor. OCD will tell you they aren't, but they are. <laughs> I was gonna say I I I appreciate that you mentioned. Um you mentioned Elf, and particularly you mentioned um, Christmas Vacation, because there are a lot of uh, questionable bits in the Christmas Vacation, but you know what? Yep. It's pretty stinking funny. It is. It is. <laughs> and you're hard-pressed to send, you, you, can, you can be a Christian and like those things, too. So, um, to all of you who are listening who are concerned about that stuff, but anyhow, so, so I, again, I don't want to take up all of your, all of your evening, but, um, if you, is there anything else that you'd want to add or tag at the end of this? Um, uh, maybe, uh, if there was one takeaway for a, a listener who has religious group and is struggling in this, in this time, what's one thing that you would tell them? So, 
two of the most meaningful <coughs> quotes that helped me really really motivated me and really encouraged me when I was going through this was um, one thing that I read from C.S. Lewis was, um, and this is a major paraphrase because I have to say it in this way, but the gist of it is there. He said, our allegiance and our faith to Christ is never more powerful or meaningful than when we look around upon a universe where every trace of God seems to have disappeared. And yet, we still choose to follow him and obey him. That was just so, that's where the act as if thing came for me. That was just so powerful, um, encouraging me that, yeah, I can, I can still you know, follow and exercise my faith, even while I'm feeling, you know, I can't even feel God in my life right now. That was powerful. And then I don't know if you've ever read, read um, John Bunyan's Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, but it's basically a very long uh, biographical story of how OCD impacted him. Not that he knew that he had OCD, but people have... Oh, that's what it was. And if you read it it as a person, you'll find that out. And I liked what he said, because it's along the same thing. So he was, he was having these, his mental war of, do I believe? Do I really believe? And it was just causing him so much pain and so much agony. And he was having everything that I experienced. It was like reading my own story. So at the end of all this, he's just like, he kind of throws in the towel. And he says, you know what? I am for going on and venturing my eternal state with Christ. Whether I have comfort here or not, if God does not come in, thought I, I will leap off the ladder, even blindfolded into eternity. Sink or swim, come heaven, come hell. Lord Jesus, catch me if you will. But if not, I'm still going to venture all for your name. And I just loved how he allowed for the uncertainty and he was like, you know what? I can't keep doing this. I'm just going to move forward. And I think that was the beginning of his release from that long, long struggle of just that kind of like, I can't keep doing this. And and those quotes were really, you know, I wouldn't say right off the bat, but as I learned more and more and more about OCD, they became really meaningful me meaningful to me in that process and especially in retrospect i could see exactly what they were talking about and how the legs of my faith were stretched through this experience and it ended up i would say stronger and more meaningful i have i i learned how to persevere i learned about patience i learned about empathy and compassion i learned that you don't always know what people are going through when you think you know what people are going through. So there's also great lessons in the process. Um, I, I know that nobody wants to believe that when you're in the middle of it, but it, there really are great lessons in affliction and suffering. And and, there, and always remember this too shall pass. That's, that's the other thing I think that helps us to, to persevere. 
that. So that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. Well, I love all of that. Thank you so much for uh, spending this time and sharing some of your uh, insights and wisdom into uh, how, how folks can handle just Christmas and also just handle religious scrupulosity, specifically from a Christian perspective. Uh, and, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link up to your book and your blog, but um, I, I, if there's, uh, if people are wanting to learn a little bit more, where, where can they find you? Well, I, they can find my blog. It's a WordPress blog just by researching my name and anxiety disorders or scrupulosity. And even on Amazon, you just have to put my name in and um, scrupulosity. But I, I'm on Facebook. We have a group uh, for Christians. And it ended up, it was supposed to be just about like all kinds of anxiety because we tend to have overlap. People with anxiety disorders tend to have like generalized anxiety, social anxiety, OCD. We kind of have Zorla. Yeah. But there's a huge number of people in there with OCD scrupulosity. And it's Christians um, with anxiety disorders. I'm trying to remember, let's talk. And so I can I can send you that link later. But we get new people come in. We have a great group of moderators who really understand the disorder, which is helpful. So what that does is it just kind of lets you know you're not alone in your experience, but it also kind of encourages you to seek the right kind of help, you know, not to go it alone, to really see it as a real disorder for which there's lots of help and, and that you can learn to manage it. And that's what we, we encourage people because for Christians, all too often it's seen as a spiritual issue. And we're, our goal is to, you know, give people the, the help they need so they can start to learn to manage it and live with it and have a good quality of life. That's fantastic. So, yeah. Well, again, thank you so much. And, um, and, and well, thank you for, for inviting me. It was really a, a privilege to be able to share and encourage people. All right, everybody, we've made it through this episode. Thank you so much for hanging out and joining me for this episode. So everybody, if you have follow-up questions to this and um, uh, would like to let me know, uh, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and you can submit a question link there. Of course, click on the link there and send me that message. Uh, just let me know what your thoughts were. What, um, what was helpful? What was not helpful? What was helpful for you in uh, dealing with Christmas, Christmas time, with the, the stresses and struggles that come up during the season um, and uh, I'd love to add those or tag those on to a future episode but um, I, and if you have any specific question for Mitzi I'm sure she'd be more than happy to jump on a future episode to, uh, to answer those questions directly so if you want to get uh, or learn a little bit more about her I'll add some uh, some of her links to her book and to her blog uh, over at fearcastpodcast.com uh, the, the episode page to this uh, episode um and uh, follow her to uh, she follow her blog. She's got a ton of great information up there, and is incredibly helpful. So everybody, please remember that uh, uh, the Fearcast is not substitute for psychotherapy. If you have questions about how to uh, get started or need a little bit more support in treatment, go over to fearcastpodcast.com and click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some uh, info for you there. So until next time, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.